0: Well, we continue on in our series called Jesus Is, as we walk through verse by verse the, wor- uh, the, the book of Hebrews. Uh, this week, our topic is Jesus is deep. Jesus is deep. So when we talk about Jesus being deep, we're talking about uh, how his reserve, his love, his grace, his mercy, everything he is, everything he's done, everything he is doing, everything he will do, it is more than enough for us. We'll never run out Uh, We'll never get to the place where we don't need more Jesus. And when we talk about spiritual maturity, we can always go deeper in Christ. We're never going to get there. Um, We're never going to arrive. We're just always uh, with the opportunity to go deeper and deeper and deeper into one source, and that is Jesus. That is God. So, Again, we're going to talk uh, about spiritual maturity. Now, when we talk about this, a lot of people have misconceptions. There's a lot of different understandings of what spiritual maturity is. Matter of fact, if I just, um, assuming some of you grew up in the church, if I just threw out some measuring tools that, that many of us are used to, how do you think you would fare right now on the spiritual maturity meter? Yeah, how about this? Are you obeying Jesus right now? Today? This week, are you, are you obedient? Um, are you disciplined? Meaning, are you reading the word regularly? Are you praying? Are you meditating on God's word? Are you responding in faith and obedience? What does your, your life look like in terms of being disciplined? Maybe here's, here's some more tangible things. Are you serving God? Are you using the spiritual gifts he's given you? Do you even know what spiritual gifts he's given you? Here's my favorite. Are you making disciples of Jesus? Are you sharing your faith? Are you teaching people and showing them how to follow Jesus? How to obey his commands? Now, if you're like me, you're probably already depressed. Cause you're thinking, well, no, I mean, yeah, I guess I do some, but I could always do better, and well, some of that I just don't do at all, and, and so you already feel discouraged. I remember when I was in Utah, I spent so much time as we planted this church, and we were in an impoverished area where drug addiction and suicide and just death reigned. We were in a city of 10,000, and once every week, there would be a death by suicide, drug overdose, or murder, and I don't know if you've lived in a city of 10,000, but that probably should not be happening. Um, And I remember I was so focused on, are we growing mature disciples? And knowing that we can't grow them, but are are we making mature disciples? I would ask myself that over and over and over. And as a pastor, you need to ask yourself those kinds of questions. But what would happen is I would look at these same things I threw out to you, and although they're good and although they might be signs of maturity, I would throw them over and cast them out onto the congregation, and I would be so frustrated when people weren't meeting those standards. And I remember one time talking to the other pastor out there, we we co-pastored this church, and I remember I was so frustrated, and I was like, We've got to, we've got to lead these people into to greater maturity. And he says, Ryan, do you believe that at any point in the Christian life we we can arrive? You know, arrive. I said, Well, of course not. Like maybe when we I mean when we see Jesus face to face, we'll arrive, we'll be perfect as he is perfect, and okay. But if we can't arrive, why are you angry that nobody has arrived, including yourself? Well, I I mean, I don't know. I mean, we're reading the New Testament, and it's talking about maturity and being mature. And I'm assuming if they say we could be mature, then there is some standard or measurement for what maturity is, right? And he said, listen, we will be mature fully in Christ when we see him, but we all know this is a process. And you know you're not going to get to that place where you said, well, I've arrived. So if that's the case, then shouldn't we be more concerned about whether we're actually maturing rather than are we mature? doesn't mean we lower the standards. It means we change the way we look at maturity this is a process this is this is uh this is steps this is a journey we are all on and you if you're like me will be frustrated continuously and forever if you think that there's some imaginary place that you're supposed to be and god's not happy with you until you're there that he's not pleased with you until you're there but to rest in the fact that jesus is perfect he calls us perfect and even though we're maturing he gives us the benefits and blessings of being part of his family a perfect family like you, you got to we got to get okay with the turmoil that we're not not fully mature right now but we're moving in maturity so the author of Hebrews is a little discouraged today as many of us find ourselves he's discouraged with these Hebrew readers, these Jewish Christians who are not walking in maturity and so Uh, I want you to ask yourself tonight, not am I a mature Christian, but am I growing? And maybe more importantly, what's the next step of faith for me tonight? I have no idea what that is for you. What's the next step? And I pray that when we leave here tonight, we would understand it's not, here's the top 10 things you need to do. It's that Jesus is everything. He is maturity. He is the way. He is uh, the one that is so deep that for the rest of your life, you're going to sink further and further and further into his wonderful grace and mercy. And in that, he's going to grow you. He's going to mature you. But look no further than Jesus when it comes to maturity. So let's jump in. If you've got a Bible, Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to hit the end of Hebrews chapter 5 and the first couple verses of chapter 6 tonight. going to, we've been hitting quite a bit um, of scripture lately, and so we're going to slow it down just a little bit tonight. Uh, Let's go with the first couple verses, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. The author says, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Okay, what do we see here? First thing we see is that growth is expected. Now let's walk through this again. About this, so if, if it says that, what do you think it's referring to? It's referring to last week. Remember last week we talked about Jesus is our great high priest. And listen, if you, <laughs> so you can listen to that message last week. You can hear that Jesus is the great high priest. And for some of us, we're like, that is amazing. And we're just chewing on it and it changes things for us. Like it's a game changer. But for some of us, it's just semantics and jibber jabber. Like it's just, well, I mean, I'm sure that's important to some people, but we don't get it. And he's saying to the Hebrews, he's saying, listen, about this, about Jesus being the great high priest. And in the verse right before that says that he's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which we're going to get to this stuff. It, it is hard to understand. As he says, it's hard to explain. But it's really hard to explain when you're dull of hearing. Now it says you have become dull of hearing. So what what that's telling us is that there was a time where they weren't dull of hearing. There was a time where they were zealous. You see in Acts chapter 21, the elders there in Jerusalem were saying that thousands of Jews were now, they were zealous for Jesus. And the author's writing to him saying, listen, you've become dull. It doesn't happen overnight. You've become dull. Dull means slothful. It can be translated as sluggish. It says they they become that way. And it says that by this time, (laughs) you ought to be teachers, but now you need to be taught again the basic principles of the oracles of God. The word oracles, what that means is essentially the things of God. And it was in direct relation to seeing Jesus in, in the New Testament, seeing him in relation to these Old Testament people we've been talking about uh, for the first five chapters of Hebrews. But he's saying that things that relate to the deity of Christ and things of God, it's kind of hard to understand, but that's what he's referring to when he, when he says oracles. But this stuff's got to be explained to you again. Like You don't, you don't get your dull of hearing. You don't get the things of God. You just don't get it. Anybody here? feel a little bit sluggish spiritually a little bit apathetic i'm afraid in america a lot of us spend our entire lives in this zone it's scary how comfortable we've become scary how acceptable it is. And, and when I said earlier that it doesn't happen overnight, it's, in, it's important to see where these Hebrew listeners, where, where these people who are receiving this letter, where they've come from. Remember, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, there's a progression. The author warned them about drifting from the word. He said, pay attention to what I'm saying. Pay attention to what you've heard. And so it starts by drifting from the word. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he tells them again in a warning to be careful, to believe what he's talking about. So you first drift from the word, and then you start to doubt the word, and then you become dull. You become dull, and then you don't even want to hear the word. You don't even want to hear it. You see, in, in here on earth, many times when we have uh, something of metal or steel, the more that we use it, the more dull it becomes. If you like gardening, you got a garden spade. You know, you hit enough rocks, enough dirt clods, enough roots. You hit something long enough, and it's going to dull the end of that blade. But spiritually speaking, the more that you hear the word of God and the spirit that He has given you is it, like, yes, I want that, and then you obey it. The sharper you get. So, spiritually, the more that we're used, the more that we hear the Word of God and obey it, the sharper we get. And so, it's a little bit different than what we're used to. And I think this should be incredibly scary. This should be incredibly scary that this guy, this author, expects them to be growing. And yet, let's be honest with ourselves. How many of us are incredibly comfortable? We enjoy it. We like coming and We like hearing Andy preach. For some reason, you're still showing up on Wednesday nights. We like to hear about the things of God. But how serious are we about actually obeying? Like When you leave here tonight, in your mind, are you thinking, well, now I can get through the week. I was encouraging somehow or challenging. Or are you actually thinking, I'm going to Obey this. Not my words, but God's word. Like, Do we come to the table in our devotionals in the morning and say, "Like, I'm going to open this and I'm going to obey it. Or are we coming to the table saying, I just need some encouragement to get me through. Don't reduce the word of God down to that. It's scary how comfortable we've gotten. How growth has become optional. Yesterday, little Silas, my son, he, he went in to the doctor for a checkup. He went in for his 21-month checkup. How many of you parents remember the 21-month checkup? None of you, really. Because babies don't go to 21-month checkups. They go to 18-month, maybe. Maybe 24 months. But Silas, he went to his 18-month, and he was a little guy then. But when he went to his 18-month, they said that he, he was he had only gained three ounces of weight in the last three months. Now, you don't need to know much about babies to know. A little guy should probably, now that he's eaten solids, gain over a three-month period more than three ounces. You and I are going to gain more than three ounces when we eat supper tonight. (laughs) And, And his little noggin has been misshapen from like three weeks old. We... He just got a flat noggin. We were supposed to get a helmet, and, like, good parents, we didn't. And so, like, it was, it's just been kind of flat. And, um, and so his head has been in the less than three percentile of circumference, of, like, normal baby heads. He's, always, he's, got, he's got a little noggin. He's got a little noggin. And so he's just not growing much. And so they said, you've got to come back at 21 months. And so we went in yesterday, and he gained a full pound, and he gained like an inch and a half height. And, and so instead of being in the 6th percentile for height or something, he's in the 7th or whatever. And his little noggin now is in the ninth percentile, and like he, he's taking steps. But see, when I said earlier that he had only gained 3 ounces, how many of us thought something's wrong? We need to do something about it. But how many times do we hear preachers say something's wrong, we need to do something about it, and it's just very optional? It's just very optional. Well, if I'm going to be super spiritual, maybe I'll go do it. That's why we don't experience what Jesus' early church experienced so often, because for them it wasn't optional, for us it is And sometimes we we don't know what growth even looks like. And so we don't even know, we don't know if we're moving towards spiritual growth because we just don't know what it looks like. And and so we got to understand that growth, and I hate to even break it down this way because I don't want to compartmentalize it, but it might be helpful for some of us. Growth happens both internally and then has external signs. For instance, there's things that you all could be growing in, that we could be growing in tonight spiritually as we grow deeper in Christ That is hard to measure, like your faith, some of you are growing in faith, your reliance on Jesus, your dependability, like you're depending on him, your love for God, that's hard to measure what that looks like. So internally, like there's transformation happening for some of us tonight. And then there's externally, there's things that I said earlier, like, well, well, you're disciplined in the word and you're serving God and you're making disciples and you love God. um, And so you're taking steps of faith and you're walking away from the world and you're picking up your cross and you're following him. Like there's things that look like we're growing. But here's the thing. You can have the external signs of growth and still not experience any internal growth in which case it's not really growth at all. It's deception. I, and, you, and you know this, right? You know that we can look like we have it all together. And the things that we, we show as spiritual growth in America, for most of us, the average person, uh, is crazy. Attendance, even giving records, length of time we've been in the church. This guy's saying, you should be teachers. Some of us are taking pride that even though we're not obedient to the Word of God like we once were when we were zealous, that somehow, because we've been in the church long enough, that, like, he's still kind of happy with us. I mean, we haven't walked away, right? And this guy's saying, you should be teachers by now. So, you can show the external things and still not have any inward transformation. But on the flip side, you cannot have inward transformation and not show external science. Like, you can't tell me, hey, Pastor Ryan, my faith is growing in amazing ways. And then I say, how are you walking by faith? Well, you, I mean, I'm, I, well, i You you can't say my love for God and for other people is growing like crazy. See how are you loving God? Well, I mean, like when I think of people, I, I just think I love them. (laughs) See, like it's, it's proof. It's no guarantee the external stuff, it's no guarantee anything internal is happening, but the internal stuff is going to translate into some external stuff. Obedience is going to translate, it's going to look like something. And so it's hard for us just to put that across the church and say, well, measure growth by this because it doesn't always look the way we think it should look. It doesn't, some of us say, well, does growth look like uh, less drama in my life? Listen, some of those who follow Jesus the most in life have the most drama. It might be a different kind of drama than the drama you have right now. Well, does growth mean that I know more? I think in God's eyes, it's that we obey what we know and then we know some more and then we obey that then know a lot and obey a little, which is where a lot of us are. But here's the deal. I know I'm hitting this hard, but this is important. Spiritual growth, growing deeper in Christ. It, It looks like for all of us, it looks like our lives being aligned with the will of God and any movement in our lives moving towards him and his plan for us. This means the internal and external stuff. It, it means growth. And it means if we if we want to grow, it means we've got to be immersed in the gospel because I've said it before and I will say it again that I've never personally, and I I, I hate to even go off of experience but this is important at least for me i've never seen huge leaps of growth and bounds of growth in my life apart from being immersed in the gospel of jesus like i've never distanced myself from the word of god the truth of jesus and like grown spiritually in amazing ways but every time i hear someone talk about jesus and i get overwhelmed every time i'm hearing jesus uh, seeing him in the word and i get overwhelmed every time he, he blows me away like that's where i start to respond in faith and obedience that's where i find things changing And so if you want growth, you don't have to worry about where you're not. You you can simply immerse yourself in the gospel. And as he overwhelms you and you find some inward transformation is going to happen, it's going to change everything else. But it starts inwardly and it moves externally. They go hand in hand. What's stopping you from growing? What's stopping you from growing? Verse 13. The author says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. For everyone who lives on milk. So we're talking about, hey, you're born again, so now you're an infant in Christ. You're a baby. We all start this way. There's no shame in being there at one point in time, but he's saying, hey, you're going to move out of that. You're going to move out of that those who, who live on milk, you see, they can't handle solids because they need nutrients, but they, they can't handle the bulk. And, and so they live in a world where they are unskilled in the word of righteousness. Some of your translations might even say, but you can translate unskilled into inexperienced or not experienced Word of righteousness means the word of God. It means uh, the gospel. It means our faith in general. So what it's saying is that we lack experience. If you're immature in the faith, it means you simply don't have experience walking out your faith. The New Living Translation actually translates the last part of this in a, in a very practical way that's pretty true to the meaning. It says they don't know how to do what is right. So people who are, who, who, who are living on spiritual milk they simply just don't know how to follow Jesus. And the Hebrews, reading this, listening to this, are in that boat. They just they don't know how to follow him. So how do, we, how do we get experience? Knowing what to do. How do we follow Jesus? How do we go deeper in Jesus well, if you get there by being immersed in the gospel and in communing with God and being in an intimate relationship with God, you're not going to have a ton of spiritual growth by using blogs alone and then supplement it once in a while with some preacher's teaching. It's not going to just be someone's opinion about the Bible that you like and so you have them bookmarked. It's going to be getting in the actual Bible yourself. We have reduced the word of God with, with so Little reverence and respect. We've put it down on a level with so many other things that it's no coincidence we are where we are and why we don't experience what we hope to experience. (laughs) Biblical illiteracy is that people simply don't know what the Word of God says. So it's hard to say, yeah, I'm going to obey and then actually do it when we just don't know what it says. Sometimes I get glimpses of this and my mind is blown that we know so little about this Jesus that we want to follow. I would never fall in love with someone and then say, you know what? But we need a couple years right off the bat to be separated. You know what they say in the world? Distance. Separation. That makes the heart grow fonder. Now that's not the way it works with Jesus. You've got to learn about Jesus, and I think you see extremes of biblical illiteracy because you have one group of people that know a lot about Jesus, and they know the Bible, and they were raised in the church, and they could tell you a whole bunch of passages, really the famous ones that are on stickers, and then some others, um, but, but they don't obey it, and so they don't experience God's transformation. And then you have the other side that really, legitimately, and some of us are in this room tonight, that we want to know what God wants for our lives. We want to know what is right. We want to know how to follow Jesus, but we're just not disciplined enough to pick up this book and read it. There's others who are like, yeah, the Bible's good, and I want to read it, but it's just one of many things. So, like, I, 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 I pray a lot, but I'm not in the word much. I don't like reading. I don't like reading. You know there's countries right now. You know half the world doesn't have a Bible translation in their language. That if somehow we could get a few pages of Philippians and... and fly 30,000 feet above their country and throw it out there that they would run to that and chew it up and gobble it down and study it and memorize it because they're so hungry for the word of God and yet we have dozens of Bibles all around our houses and we just don't care because we're so comfortable that we don't need the word of God to direct us. This is going to be a weird story. I debated whether I should say it because I don't want to cause anyone um, embarrassment, but I felt fairly confident none of you would um, ever have a clue what I'm talking about on this. So um, so I'll share it because I think it's important. I once uh, discipled a group of young men, teenagers, and uh, one time I was asking them, uh, and I was new to the faith at this point. I was asking them, are you guys in the word? Like are you, are you studying? Are you obeying? What what's your discipline like? Um reading the word. And they would say different things and I I don't remember any of their answers honestly except for one. And he said, "I don't read the Bible because I just pray." And I said, "What well, what are you talking about, man? How do you know who you're praying to or how to pray or anything about discerning Prayer and listening to God's, how do you know any of that if you're not in the Bible, right? He said, well, I just don't, I just don't do it because I pray instead. And I remember talking to him about it, but he didn't really seem to care what I was saying. And so we we walked away that night and I continued to pour into him. Um, But eventually he he went off to college and and I moved away and whatnot. And so um, fast forward six or seven years later, I'm talking to a guy. Now, this guy does not know this young man I discipled six, seven years earlier. Matter of fact, the only thing they have in common is that they probably live in the same state. But he's telling me a story. He says, you know, I I know there's this uh, there's this prayer team. Um. That, that prays for people, and, uh, and, man, they do some crazy stuff. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he was explaining how they, they speak in tongues, and they, 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 they yell over people um, these loud prayers, and, and they just they, they lay hands on and, and say some weird things. And, but, you know, there's some fruit from it, and then there's just some weirdness, and it's like, well, okay. I know a lot of friends that, that are Pentecostal, and some of it is probably right, some of it probably isn't, but, like, okay, whatever. And, and then he kept going on. He says, but, but it's, it's really weird. Like I mean like if you experience it it's really weird. I'm like what are you talking about? He said here's a good example. There was a guy who was a drug addict. All right? And he was coming down off a high. And he went to this prayer team and said they wanted deliverance from this. And he was a non-believer and he wanted Jesus. And so they start praying over him and one guy in particular starts praying over him. Starts praying in such a crazy way. Screaming foreign languages at him, speaking in tongues, and, and, and proclaiming the gospel over him with screams and yells and laying hands on this guy. The guy got so scared, he defecated. And he didn't want to come back to the church. And I thought to myself, gosh, yeah, that is weird. And I said, would that young man happen to be? And I just named the first name. and He said, yeah, how'd you know? <laughs> just a hunch. You see, when I hear that story, my mind automatically thinks this is someone with good intentions, who has good intentions, but they don't know <laughs> what the Word of God says. Because the Word of God is not going to tell you, scream at someone until they <laughs> and run away from the church that is going to be the worst trip of his life. (laughs) I know it's silly, but this is reality for some of us. This is reality. The Bible... And diving deep into it should not be a suggestion, and it should not be optional. Because Jesus says that he is the wellspring of life. And if you're going to go deep into him, you got to go deep into the word. Because when John 1 says that the word in the beginning, the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh, and the word dwelt among us, Jesus and, and the word are like this. And so when he says that man does not live on bread alone that's not hey you're going to go on a lifelong fast if you don't read the I mean like read the word of God it's saying you've got to be in the word if you want to survive spiritually It is the Word of God, and we just don't have any respect for it. And when our respect goes down here, then our need and our desire to be in it. And listen, I know what it's like to feel like you're in a desert, and I know what it's like to feel dry. And I have sat and tried to counsel and disciple so many young people who say, I just don't want to read it right now, and I'm struggling, and I'm going through a dry spell. And I used to try to make up all kinds of excuses and trips and ticks, tips and tricks to try to help them through it. But the bottom line is persevere. Read it and read it and read it until it makes you want to read some more don't make up excuses as to why you're in a dry season don't chalk it up to just being in a season just keep reading and even crazier you want to know something crazy crazy don't just read it and hear until you until you become dull read it hear it listen to it and then obey it i'm telling you what if we become a church if we become a generation of people that open this word like they did 2,000 years ago and they've got it on parchment and they're looking at pieces and and scribbles of it and they just say we're going to just do what it says our lives would change if you get nothing out of what I'm saying tonight, and you say, ah, Jesus is deep. Like, listen, if you just open this book with a mind that says, I know I've read it a million times this way, and I've disobeyed this way, but I'm just going to read it, and I'm just going to, when it says do this, I'm just going to do this. See what happens. You won't come to my office and say you're in a dry spell anymore. You'll come on fire. And there's no way of getting around it. And you can't come up with a million other options. And we always make time for what's important. And if you don't feel like it's important right now, just do it anyway until it becomes important. We don't ever talk about perseverance as much as we talk about excuses to why things aren't happening. This is fun, isn't it? <laughs> Let's move along here. we got a lot to capture in the next few minutes. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, the last verse says, now we're moving from immaturity to maturity. He says, But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. All right. Third thing we see is that maturity comes from abiding. Maturity comes from abiding. So the author's telling us what solid food. Now he's not he, remember, we're gonna get into the solid food. You get into Hebrews chapter seven, chapter six, <laughs> and then chapter seven, and it's just poof, mind explosion time. And next week we're gonna tackle a, a big one of those. But he's saying we can't even go on to that. Because it's solid food. Now, solid food is for these people. And so here, here's here's one of many signs that, that you are moving in maturity is that you have spiritual discernment. So you gotta have the Word of God as a foundation, and not something you take and then you walk away from. But it, it is it is the foundation in which you see and, and view everything through. But you gotta have some spiritual, you gotta have some spiritual discernment. And it says, trained by constant practice. This means that when you're born again, it's true, you don't just make perfect decisions right off the bat. And I've heard it said, and I tend to agree in this context, that it's like being born again. I mean, it's literally like having a heart transplant. You don't just get up from surgery, and all of a sudden, you're running a million miles an hour. Like, you work. toward Like, you, 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 you fall a couple times, and you make a couple mistakes, and you just keep moving, and you make some more mistakes. But you make progress, and you're moving. Because when he says, I'm giving you a new heart, it's going to take time to adjust to it. And the Word of God is going to fan that into flame, It's going to strengthen it. And so you're going to fall on your face sometimes, but we need spiritual discernment. We've got, to be obi- we've got to be abiding in Jesus. And you see, Silas, I could tell you all about him. But babies, when babies are around anything, they put anything in their mouths. Because they, they just don't know what they should be and should not be putting in their mouths. To me, it's like, are you serious? you got so little discernment. We just sat you in a chair, fed you things we approve of, and now you're eating anything. I mean, bark and wood and whatever. And so baby Christians, oftentimes, we don't have spiritual discernment to know what to listen to. We'll listen to any televangelist. We'll listen to any new podcast. We'll we'll get into books that were recommended to us by our grandma. And then we wonder why we have a whole generation of people that find more hope in a book called Heaven is for Real than the Bible itself. And we think, boy, let's trust a four-year-old from Nebraska's vision more than the Word of God, which tells us more than we need to know and more than Hollywood will ever tell us about a reality. And that's not saying that this little guy is bad. It's saying that we just don't have spiritual discernment. When I was a new believer, I used to—I was a lonely pup, and, and I didn't have many friends, and so I would sit in my house, and I would open up the Word, and I didn't have a church background, so all of this was brand new to me, and I would start reading and, and through the Gospels, and this Jesus guy was just blowing me away, and it was, it was, it was good. It was beautiful. I was growing um, at a pretty steady pace, but then each night, I would turn on the TV, and I'd watch this televangelist guy from Colorado Springs. Now, he, he, he was an interesting fellow, but I didn't know any different to listen to Like, he's on TV? Must be good, right? I'll watch him. And and so I watched him, and he was preaching through the book of Romans. And if I remember right, it was pretty solid stuff. Like, it was good stuff. Just grace, grace, grace. It was wonderful stuff. Well, anyway, he, at the end of his shows, would talk about this Bible school he has out in Colorado Springs and say, you should come out and join it. Great, wonderful. Um, So anyway, I think to myself, I want to do God's will, and I know God's calling me to know more about him. I've got a lifetime of knowing about the world, and I just don't know about God, and so I knew I needed to to know more and obey every step of the way. So I prayed about it, and, and I thought, you know what? I'm either going to go to this school in McPherson, Central Christian College. It's a little tiny, free Methodist college. I didn't really want to go there. It's not the cool thing to do, but it was an opportunity for me. Or I could go out to this Bible college. So I get a friend who is going to go check something else out in Colorado Springs. We we go out to Colorado Springs together for a weekend um, college review, weekend thing, whatever preview. And so the first couple of days, it's great, lots of teaching preaching. Solid stuff, if I remember right. Probably three or four hundred prospective students out there. It was good. The last night we're there. Now, keep in mind, all my experience in the church is from a Southern Baptist church in Hast- or in Hutchinson, Kansas. So I don't know much about Pentecostal stuff. I hear Karis Bible College. I have no idea what Keras means. I'm not even thinking about it, right? Last night we're there, and uh, he gives, and and the keynote speaker is the guy, the televangelist guy. And so it's kind of like a little bit starstruck, like, oh, wow, this is cool. And he's there, and he's trying to give one last pitch to get people to sign up and go to his school. And so it seems pretty normal to me. And then he preaches this powerful message, it's good. And then he ends it by saying, you are not saved unless you are baptized by the Holy Spirit with the accompanying gifts of speaking in tongues. Now I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I got no one around me, and I don't, I don't know what the Bible even says about this. It's the first time I ever heard about speaking in tongues, right? And so I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure I got the Holy Spirit, but I don't think I've been through what he's talking about, right? And so uh, uh, he says, is there anyone in this room who hasn't been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And there's 300 people there. Ten people raised their hand. And I'm thinking to myself, if this is of God, I want it. Like, I, was, I just had, I had a, uh, uh, an innocence. And so anyway, he says, come up. And so I go up there with nine other people. We're in front of all these people. I'm watching this televangelist guy. Like he's he's right up here and he's looking down at me. I'm like, oh, this is weird. And there's people that come behind us and they they put their hands on and they say, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the, blah 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 blah. And then you're going to speak in tongues and you'll know that's when the Spirit has entered you. And so I have no idea still what speaking in tongues is. All right. And so anyway, he does this little jibber jabber thing and he, he says, I baptize you and blah, 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 blah. blah. And, and people are behind us and they're they're doing this thing. And I hear the whole crowd start speaking different languages. And then I hear the people behind us with their hands on us speaking different languages. I look down the row at the other nine. One by one, they start speaking different languages. One guy left not speaking different languages. It's me. And I'm thinking to myself, this doesn't feel right. Doesn't feel horrible. But I just do not know what to do. The guy behind me with hands, he literally starts a little bit tighter. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is ridiculous. Now the evangelist guy, he's right in front of me, and he's looking down. I'm just like, what is going on? So before you know it, I'm speaking Indian or Middle Eastern or something crazy (laughs) because I got to get out of this. Afterwards, I go back and I sit in my seat. And at this point, keep in mind, I tell it, and it's funny now, but I still didn't really know at the time. I really didn't know. Was this legit? Was this weird? I was confused because I was pretty sure I had the Holy Spirit. He <laughs> told me, you know. But anyway, and clear as day, not an audible voice or something creepy, I remember God telling to me, Ryan, you're not going to go to school here. As a matter of fact, you're going to go back. You're going to go to McPherson. Like I had written that off. That's that not even a possibility. I came out here just to affirm that I'm coming out here. He said, Ryan, you go home and you go back to that other school. And as I did, I started to dig into the Word of God just to find out, wow, I need the Word of God. I need to know what it says, but I also need to be in tune with the Holy Spirit and what he's telling me because there were some crazy things going on there. I'm telling you what, we've got to have, there's there's a huge difference between spiritual people and people in tune with God's Holy Spirit. Spiritual people fill up the pews every Sunday here people in tune with the Spirit of God change the world. There's a lot of spirits to listen to. There's one that's holy. There's a whole bunch that aren't. And I tell you that story to tell you I lacked spiritual discernment, but it took times of me screwing up and doing the wrong thing to depend and rely and hear God saying, God, what do you want me to do? (laughs) But guess what? If I would have never gone out there, I wouldn't have heard God's voice so clearly while I was out there. Sometimes you've got to take a bunch of steps of faith, even to find out some of them were goofy steps of faith, to find out that you really are in a place now to hear from God. Not saying he can't talk to you right now where you are, But he's not just going to tell you everything about your life without you walking by faith. That's what faith is. You walk by it and he'll reveal as you go. And I'm telling you what, some of us, (laughs) we think to ourselves, well, if I want to be hearing God, uh, I want to do it on my own terms. You look at the book of Acts. You want to see some dudes who are are changing the world and and are in tune with what God's Spirit's telling them? It's people who say, I'm going to be on mission with God. I'm going to make disciples. I'm going to get out of my comfort zone. I'm going to do the crazy stuff that I used to think was super crazy. I'm going to do it. And that's where you start hearing guys like Paul say, well, we were going to go over here from Philippi to this and Thessalonica, and then the Spirit over here. And now we had a dream of some guy in Macedonia say, come over to us. And like, does any of that happen if he stays back in Antioch? You want to experience the spirit of God. You want to be in tune with what God's saying. You've got to get on mission with God. You've got to get out of your comfort zone to where you're not comfortable enough to rely on your own spirit. If you want to speak... <laughs> You're never going to depend on God speaking to you unless that's the only thing you can do. As long as there's excuses out here for us to leave here tonight and to go on and just do things in our own strength, our own power, to go through the same old routine and do the same old stuff and never step out in faith, as long as that is an option for you, then you're going to look day after day, week after week, month after month, and say, I'm not hearing from God. And he's saying, listen, I'm s- I'm working here. Are you going to align your life with where I'm working? And you're going to hear me talk a whole bunch. When I'm sitting 50 seats up in the stands, I don't hear what the coach is saying. But when I'm in the game, I can hear his loud voice above all others. Leave here tonight and you keep a prayer alive that says, God, do something with me. Uh, Make me uncomfortable. Make me uncomfortable for your glory. And you come back next week and tell me you're spiritually dry and that Jesus isn't deep, deep, deep because you're not going to go deeper unless you know there's a treasure under there that you desperately need. You're going to keep your head above water. Last but not least, first three verses of Hebrews 6. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity. So there's, there's, there's shallow stuff in Jesus, okay? And then there's deep stuff. Jesus is deep. Go on to maturity, not laying, again, a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. The last thing we see is simply that Jesus is deep. Jesus is deep. He's telling you to get deeper tonight. He's telling you to go deeper tonight. He's never going to say you're deep enough, but he's never going to condemn you for where you're not at. He's going to say, this is where you are. I'm taking you deeper. I'm taking you deeper. I'm taking you deeper. And then we see six things, and I'll rifle them off. Six things that this author says, here are six signs of elementary teaching, okay? Now keep in mind, these are Jewish Christians, so some of these things are basic tenets of the, Jew, uh, the Jewish faith, but then also of the Christian faith, and they're branched up kind of in three segments here. Um, you, the first two are uh, the initiation into salvation. You've got repentance from dead works and faith toward God. So repentance, Jesus tells us what? Repent and believe. Repent and believe. So repentance isn't just turning from your sin. It's understanding the gospel is mind-blowing, and it is a change of mind, not just a change of behavior. It's a change of mind that makes you receive something, that changes your heart, that changes your actions. So repentance is a lifelong thing, but it's as much about a proper perspective of God as it is turning from bad behavior. If you don't understand that, you're going to be caught in behavior modification. You're never going to experience the Jesus I'm talking about. He wants your mind to change. And then as you start to find out this change of mind and you start to realize God is good and he loves me and this is what he's done for me, then you start to have faith toward him. So Faith and repentance go together. And then it says instructions about washings. Some of your translations might just say baptisms. And so what we're talking about are water baptism, a symbol of a washing uh, that Jesus has done of our souls. And then, of course, baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a real thing, but it's something given to all believers who place their faith in Jesus. And so if you have placed your faith in Jesus, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And laying on of hands. So, these second two, baptism and laying on of hands, they are our relation to other believers. So, baptism is what I said. Laying on of hands represents the blessing of God and also the setting apart of the ministry that He has for us to do. That's what you see when people in the New Testament lay hands on each other. They do it to heal, they do it to bless, but they also do it to set apart and say, God, you do, to put, send them where you want. And then the resurrection of the dead, we're not just talking about Jesus being resurrected from the grave. We're talking about the resurrections that will happen where you and I, we will die physically and then we will be raised again. We don't talk about this much in America. In a lot of countries, this is a big deal. Back then, it was a huge deal, especially when Jesus dies on a cross and graves open up and people start walking. They would want to know about this doctrine. So just know, got a couple, few more of those going to happen. You place your faith in Jesus, you will be raised to walk with him. That's a whole. That's a, there's a lot there. And then eternal judgment. Of course heaven and hell. And so these are the things that he says. This is, this is the basics of the faith. And I want you to go deeper. I want you to go deeper. Listen as we leave here tonight. We got to understand. The gospel of Jesus is so deep. That I barely feel like I even could tap into it tonight. The gospel of Jesus is this. <laughs> it. it The good news of Jesus, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, it's been said by many that it's shallow enough for kiddos to play in, but deep enough to drown the tallest of mountains. You will always be invited to jump in, but it is going to be so incredibly deep that you're never going to get to the bottom of it, and that should give us amazing hope and beauty. And I know we need it here tonight. I, I once heard uh, a preacher say that most Christians are, are, are betweeners. When asked, what, what's a betweener? He says, most Christians are somewhere between the land of Egypt and Canaan. <laughs> the land of Egypt and slavery and in the promised land. They're somewhere out of the place of danger, but yet not into the land of rich blessing and inheritance and rest. <laughs> They're betweeners. They're somewhere between Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday. They're saved by the blood, but they're not experiencing the newness of life. (laughs) Now, theologically, that's not true. He's a bad preacher. You can't be saved by the blood and not be a new creation. But boy, can you feel like it sometimes. I feel secure and solid, but I know I'm not experiencing all he has for me. Every marriage here on earth will be measured growth-wise, by the depth of our intimacy with our spouse. And it is no different with Jesus. You can leave here tonight with a million different understandings of what spiritual maturity looks like, but I'm telling you this, this is how it gets there. This is how you get there, is you cling to the vine. You get connected and you stay connected. And you rely and you depend and you watch those things grow and your faith and your love grow in Him. And you ask Him to do things in you and to you and through you. And you get in the Word and you recognize what it says and then you actually obey it. I'm telling you what, we have made this so incredibly complicated in America because it doesn't cost us anything to say, I'm a Christian. But what has become one small pocket of Christians in America, those who are actually on fire for Jesus and recognize how deep he is and are blown away by him, that needs to become the norm for the churches. If we want this, war, if we want this country, if we want this nation, this world to change, we've got to stop looking at this stuff as optional. And although we might feel like babes tonight, we've got to jump in to the wellspring face first, and I'm telling you what, it will blow you away. Jesus is deep. Jesus is deep. Let's pray.